You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Everything that I knew, I didn't know anymore. Like defense mode. We're survivors. Like... Help with them. In our head, but they're probably not the questions that you want answered. So, yeah, writing them down for us is important because of our team over Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today, we will be joined by Dr. Nevin Waters, a dentist who founded his own practice in 1975 with a goal to treat each patient as he would a family member. He is an active member of the American Dental Association and founder and board member of the Kansas Foundation of Dentistry for the Handicapped. He is also a former board member and dental director of Health Partnership Medical Clinic of Johnson County. Most recently, Dr. Waters received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the 5th District Dental Society for his continued dedication to public health and service. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Waters. You're welcome. That is quite the bio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I left some stuff out, but... (laughs) Before we get into the topic of dental awareness during and after cancer treatment, what brought you to the field of dentistry? Well, I went to Kansas University intending to become a chemical engineer, and my first five-hour chemistry lab convinced me that I did not want to be a chemical engineer, and I happened to have my teeth cleaned that Christmas, and my dentist said, you know, you should be a dentist, and I thought, okay, why not? So I applied. In fact, I applied four years in a row before they finally accepted my application, and I started dental school, and I really had no idea what a dentist did until maybe the third or fourth year of dental school. Uh, and finding that I love it, I, that's why I'm still doing it, even though my daughter joined me in the practice right after I had the transplant. Uh, she graduated from dental school in 2003 and joined the practice, and she's really the only reason I'm still working, because I, I love watching her take over and, and starting to run things. It's, it's, been, it's been wonderful. That must be so nice to work with your with your daughter and have her in the practice with you. It's it, most of the time, yes, but she's still my daughter. So <laughs> the, the only good the, the good thing is that she has a hope child now that we get to see quite a bit. And a hope child is when your child is acting up, you say to them, "I hope you have a child when you have children that acts just like you do." And she has a hope child, so that's been fun. <laughs> My mom says that to me all the time. Oh, 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 yeah. that's, that's, that's one of the things parents do. We hope for now. Stuff I like know. That. Now I know what yeah. she's been saying. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. 
And you don't understand until you become a parent. Oh, yourself. no. Heck no. You really don't. Was it something where she saw you working and then just became interested in it? Did she always have an interest in it? No, she didn't. I had her working in the office up at the front desk, and she assisted me a few times. And she did go on. I've been going on a mission trip to Mexico for 28 years and she went when she was 12 or 13 and I knew that if I ever suggested strongly that she become a dentist she'd say no so I just kept my mouth shut and she told me after her sophomore year in college you know dad I think I want to be a dentist so we scrambled and she got the prerequisites because she was a band and voice major in college so she had to scramble to get the prerequisites out of the way which she finally did after she graduated and then she had to move to Missouri to get accepted to University of Missouri, Kansas City, which is where I went to school. And she graduated in 2003 and joined the practice part-time. I also had a mobile dental business where we go out to schools and homes where kids are. And in Kansas and Missouri, Medicaid reimbursement is terrible. And the group from Arizona and Michigan that is taking dentistry to those locations and treating primarily Medicaid kids. So she was working a couple of days a week in that business and a couple of days in my office. And then I was diagnosed with leukemia. And she uh, basically, I said, here it is. It's yours. And uh, they wouldn't let me back in the office for a year, a little over a year. They said when I was going through the process, I said, how long will I be out of work? And they said, oh, six months or so. What do you do for a living? I said, I'm a dentist. And they said, oh, you're going to be gone for at least a year. So during that year, after I got to feeling better, I'd come to the office and look in the window. I'd pound on the window and say, get back to work. And they'd, they'd close the blinds on me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we managed to get through it. It was a struggle. And so I was out of the office from May until October of the following year. So about 14, 15 months. And so she was a replacement. Oh, wow. So what kind of leukemia were you diagnosed with, doctor? Chronic myelomonocytic leukemia. Then you went through transplants. Uh-huh. We, yeah. uh, we found a donor uh, in Norway. Wow. Uh, somebody that I'll never meet or never find out who it is because that registry does not allow contact between donor and recipient ever. In the United States, after a year, if both parties are acceptable, they allow contact. In fact, I got to watch. Uh, it still uh, breaks me up a little bit, but watching a donor recipient meet each other for the first time was, was uh, wonderful. It was a little mm -hmm. girl and a, and a man. The little girl was about 10 or 11, and this guy was 6'6", six, six, and he came walking out. Of the, it was amazing. Anyway, we found a donor in Norway, and they started the transfusion about 10.30 at night on June 16th. Yeah, that's not a very common form of leukemia. No, it wasn't. You know, the strangest thing, uh, I practiced with another dentist for about 18 years, and he was diagnosed with the same thing 10 years before I was. He was unable to find a donor, but they managed to maintain him on medication um, for, oh, 12 or 13 years. He just died in December, as a matter of fact, but oh, wow. it was not from the, I don't think it was from leukemia, it was from maybe some of the complications that he had afterwards. 
we got wondering if anybody else in the office had come down with the same thing you know you'd make you wonder if it was environmental but uh, who knows you know ionizing radiation uh, yeah, who knows what it was but you know it was and it was so we got through it and that was probably one of the reasons why your physician said that you have to be away from your job for so long was because of infections and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All the wonderful things we have floating around in the air in our offices. Why we wear masks and gloves and gowns and everything else now, which we sure didn't when I was in dental school. Oh, wow. In fact, the first time I had gloves on was on a mission trip in Mexico. Really? Wow, how the times have yeah. changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was 28 years ago. Yeah, the times have changed, absolutely. So speaking about being diagnosed with a blood cancer overall, we always talk about you know the common side effects of cancer treatment, that being nausea, hair loss, the more common things that we hear from our patients. But most people, I don't believe, really think of dental health as a priority. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. In fact, that was one of my complaints uh, with the transplant center when I had it done. I, you know, I, I know they told me, and because I was a dentist, I thought I was immune, but I certainly wasn't. They maybe could have done a better job of, uh, of I don't know how, how they would have done it, maybe grab, grab my shirt and, you know, gotten right in my face to tell me that it was an issue and would be an issue. And it certainly was. I mean, I had enough trouble with graft versus host disease that my stomach was bothering me for oh almost a year and the last thing I do before I go to bed was eat ice cream which was a stupid thing to do now I would not be doing that I'd be doing something else for my stomach and I would have made myself some kind of a fluoride tray to use to strengthen my teeth because it did affect my saliva in fact I still 13, 14 years later, uh, if I sit down to eat, I still have to have something to drink sitting next to me to get things to wash down. And my mouth is usually fairly dry. Uh, and it's just a combination of that and, and the chemotherapy and you know the saliva not being there to neutralize the acidity. I've got 12 crowns in my mouth and another 12 or 13 fillings that I didn't have before uh, the transplant. And fortunately, I raised a daughter who could take care of me. But if I'd had been out in the, in the marketplace to pay for all of that, it would have been incredible. Right. And chemotherapy can actually prevent the growth of normal cells in the lining of the mouth. Oh, yeah. You know, I was fortunate that way. My mouth and my intestinal tract was not that effective because I was prepared to be fed by a tube you know, because they gave me the worst case scenario, which I assume still happens to some folks, but I never had any trouble eating, fortunately, other than my mouth being dry. And I did lose all my hair. Uh, oh, okay. I was on such high doses of prednisone that I had no neck. My, my, my neck started in my ears and went down to my shoulders. Um, had some good friends come out to visit while we were there at the transplant center in Seattle. And I, we were waiting for them at the airport to pick them up. And they walked right past me, did not recognize me. People I'd known for 25, 30 years. It, uh, it, it changed my appearance and, <laughs> and my personality. I was, uh, I understand steroid rage. 
my daughter and my wife, my youngest daughter, my wife were my caregivers, and they would put me in the back seat of, of, this, of the car and put the window and the door locks on so I couldn't roll the window down or open the door and scream at somebody who was doing something stupid. I, I just, I was a basket case, and there was nothing I could do about it, it seemed like. I, maybe I enjoyed being a, a jerk. I don't, I don't know, but it was, it was amazing. <laughs> I could just be standing someplace in an elevator waiting for it and start crying because my my emotions were just uh, up and down. It was it was it was incredible. So you mentioned that dry mouth was really the only side effect that you had when it came to your oral health. We know that mouth sores is another side effect when it comes to chemotherapy or other forms of treatment. What are other ways that your mouth or your dental health can be affected after treatment? Well, like you said, the mouth sores uh, and, and just making the tissue in the mouth a lot more susceptible to injuries because the, the tissues are, are dry and, and, and easily damaged. Um, the teeth obviously become more susceptible to decay and I'm glad I did not lose a tooth while I was on the medication and on the prednisone because it, it would have been exciting. I have been chosen by a couple of the oncology centers in my town and I get to be the one who examines people who are getting ready for radiation and chemotherapy and tell them which of their teeth they're going to lose as a result of the more susceptibility they're going to have from the chemotherapy or the radiation and it's you know telling someone I'm sorry but in order to save your life we're going to remove all of your teeth is it's a difficult thing to do I know that for my grandmother, when she was diagnosed with kidney cancer, before she actually started treatment, her oncologist said, okay, we're going to have you go and see your dentist and do a complete cleaning. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it was the better dental hygiene, it could help to either prevent or decrease the associated oral complications that would have been from the treatment that she would then start to receive. For patients listening who may not have started treatment yet and kind of have to get things in order, like how my grandmother had to before she started treatment, mm -hmm. what can they do prior to treatment when it comes to their dental health? Well, as they suggested for her, have a complete comprehensive examination and have your teeth cleaned and any periodontal disease that you might have, that's the best time to to take care of it, get it treated, either with a surgical approach or with a deep scaling and, and, uh, and cleaning, um, and then work with whoever it is that's treating you to make sure that your oral hygiene procedures, what you're doing, is effective and you're getting all the areas. And just to make sure that, you know, 26 or 28 or 32 or however many teeth you have now you're going to have in in a few years and if you've got teeth that you're using and chewing with that aren't hurting then your treatment's going to be easier because you're going to be healthier digestion starts in the mouth with uh, with the mastication and with the saliva so if you're doing it thoroughly and correctly and your body's getting more nutrition and so you're you're going to be healthier than you would be if you were not able to because of soreness or maybe infection and you weren't able to adequately get the nutrition that you need
When I hear about dental work or procedures, I immediately think expenses. And I understand that you work to provide access and education to people who cannot afford dental work. Would you be able to tell us more about that work? Yes. Right now it's called Dental Lifeline Network. It's the program from the National Foundation of Dentistry for the Handicapped. That is one of the resources people have if they can't afford to pay for the treatment that they need. There's also a program down at UMKC, a dental clinic that provides dental care for patients who are getting ready to go through life-threatening diseases, either cancer or something else. So there are resources out there. That health partnership clinic that you mentioned in my introduction also has a dental clinic. Um, right now they're primarily treating kids, but when we started the program, uh, we were treating anybody who showed up and the treatment was on a sliding scale, but if someone came for an appointment and was seen and maybe didn't pay the five to $10 that the charge might have been, we still saw them again. The only reason we wouldn't see them is if they made an appointment and then missed it. Then they had to wait six months to come back. But there are other resources out there like that to help people pay for the care because it is expensive but it, it it's necessary for your quality of life and for your health most of that comprehensive exam if somebody has dental insurance is typically covered at a hundred percent any of the treatment that they require uh, whether it be fillings or crowns or extractions is sometimes covered at a different percentage depending on what plan the person has. And there are other payment options, you know, care credit and other things like that could help somebody pay for stuff. But, you know, they're gonna be, as you said, it's incredibly expensive to have all that stuff done, just the cancer treatment itself. It's incredibly important because there are some physicians, some cancer doctors, they won't actually start treatment on a person if they have a chronic disease until they get a release from their dentist mm -hmm. that they, they're fine um, with that just because of that big concern over dental hygiene and infections that may occur. Well, you know, some of the, the patients that I've seen in my office after treatment have been told by their physician that they can't have their teeth cleaned for a year after they have something like that done. And it just, that breaks my heart. If somebody is marginal, maybe at taking care of their mouth to begin with, and you give them a pass for a year, you don't want to be there when they come in for the first time after that year because things have gotten incredibly worse. I hope that's changing. I, I don't know if it is, but I hope it's changing that the physicians are realizing how important it is to at least have regular care, at least going in and having somebody examine you and say, hey, you're missing this barrier, you're missing this, or you hear you, you've got something here that is gonna be infected or abscessed if you don't take care of it now. And then it's gonna be more serious later. And, and could even, in the case of somebody who's gone on radiation of the head and neck, if they have to have a tooth removed after they've been irradiated, they lots of times have to spend time in a hyperbaric chamber oxygen chamber in order to get the area to heal so and sometimes things like that can be caught early and treated early and they're so much easier to treat that way
Right. And I know that, you know, you have your foundation with people that are handicapped or people that have other special needs. Yes. And you going through leukemia treatment yourself would make you even more sensitive to the needs of people with cancer. Exactly. I mean, that's your knowledge. Are, do you, are you aware if they're teaching that in dental school now, that there should be more knowledge around treating patients that are more sensitive when it comes to their dental needs? Well, I know that th this program that I was talking about at UMKC, they have a special clinic, and so they are aware of it there. You know, there's so much that dental students have to absorb and learn that adding one more thing, even as important as it is, it would be difficult. All we were concentrating on in dental school was graduating from dental school, getting out of there. <laughs> um, I learned how to treat teeth the two years I spent in the Air Force. And then when I got into private practice, that's when I started learning how to treat patients, treat people. They call this clinic at a fundraiser they have for it at UMKC, Pouring from the Heart. And it's people showing up. They'll have five or six hundred people showing up. Then we have an auction, and they'll raise two or three hundred thousand dollars in this evening for taking care of people at this dental clinic. Wow, that is great to hear because we do hear a lot of patients that say, you know, I'm I'm at a crossroads with my treatment because at this point my doctor won't treat me until I get my dental work done and I can't afford my dental work. Yeah. So, yeah, we have seen that. Are you aware of the program, the National Foundation of Dentistry for the Handicap, the Dental Lifeline Network? Yes, we do have it on our website, lls.org. We have a section called Other Helpful Organizations, and you can get there, lls.org forward slash OHO. And it's under our financial resources section, our medical equipment, supplies, and services. So yes, we do have it on our website, and our information specialists do let people know about your services. Good, because when we started the program, getting the word out to patients was the, the most difficult thing. Um, it was not difficult to find dentists who are willing to treat the patients. Uh, the beauty of the program is the control is totally in, in the dentist's hands, what work is actually provided. No one's looking over their shoulder saying, oh, you can't do that because it's over usual and customary or that's not a covered procedure. Uh, if the dentist agrees to treat the patient, he's the one who decides or she decides what treatment is done. And then when, when they're done with the treatment, they submit a form that tells the coordinator in the state how much that work would have cost if they had been paying for it. And that's the only paperwork we have to fill out. There are many dental labs that, that donate the work. If, if someone needs prosthetics, there are oral surgeons and periodontists. And I believe there are 300 of the 1,100 dentists in Kansas that are participating in the program. So the help's there. And I think that's something that's really good to know because like we said earlier in this podcast, a lot of people think of dental health as something that's that's on the side. We don't have to think about that yet because our focus is really on treatment, on chemo, on you know, on other on stem cell transplant, you know, on other things like that. And I think it's it's great to know that 
for something that is equally important, the resources are there. Here at LLS, we have a fact sheet that's called Dental and Oral Complications of Cancer Treatment. Wonderful. And it's information for patients, and you can download it on our website, or they can order it through our information specialist. But if they visit www.lls.org forward slash booklets, that resource is there to them. So I think it's an awesome job you guys are doing in regards to providing this access to dental health and education. We talked to the, the president of the Senate and explained the program to him. And he said, yeah, I think that's something that was on a Tuesday. He called us on Thursday to say that the money was there for us to start the program. He was that yeah. impressed with that program. And it's been wonderful. We provided, oh, several million dollars worth of care in the 10 or 15 years. I, I, I don't know the exact number. That's great, though. It really is a need for our cancer community as a whole, and it's always a question that people are asking. And we get people calling us from all across the United States. And uh, to have a resource that's national is very important. I was talking with a friend who treats a lot of, of cancer patients, and I was telling her about telling people, okay, you have to have this tooth and this tooth and this tooth extracted because it, I don't think it's going to make it and you don't want to have to have it done afterwards. And she was telling me that there was something about the radiation changes the, the tooth structure to the point where it makes them more susceptible to decay. And now they're leaning toward people who they're going to get a lot of radiation in the head and neck to having all their teeth, even healthy teeth, removed in preparation for, you know, the whole idea of, of getting things done preventively is to save their life. And if it means sure. going without teeth for a while till you heal, then, you know, you're still alive and you're still enjoying your grandkids or enjoying your kids, enjoying whatever, enjoying life. So... It's not a nice thing to look forward to, but it may sometimes be be necessary. That's so true. I just keep thinking that a lot of patients hear about preventative care and are fine with it, but then I guess the question sets in as to then how am I going to get the cost covered for the teeth afterwards? Because mm -hmm. we have had that situation where, you know, it's fine, you know, taking the the teeth out but then when people are successful with their treatment and they're coming out of it and they have the opportunity to receive teeth again I think the cost of that or you know pretty much working with dentists to alleviate not just the financial burden but also the time associated with it oh yeah is it an easier process I mean I don't know well, it's not necessarily an easier process because you're, you're kind of starting from scratch, rebuilding someone's mouth. And it might take several months to get accomplished if it's done and done correctly. You know, implants can be used in some instances in order to stabilize the teeth, but those are also expensive too. So there's, there probably isn't a real wonderful cost-saving alternative. Uh, maybe a dental school like there is in UMKC. You know, the time commitment there is what keeps some people from going there. But if 
if the right. option is not having it done or going there and having it done for a half to a third of what it would cost somewhere else, it, it may be the investment of time is, is worth it. Um, the sure. preventive part of it, when you were talking about the comprehensive exam and the cleaning and such, there are now, in, in my city, there are three or four hygiene schools. UMKC has one, Johnson County has one. There are a couple of private uh, hygiene schools that are clamoring for patients. They, so there, there are lots of resources that way to have the preventive part of it done, the cleaning and the exams and the, and the radiographs. That's quite a bit cheaper. Yeah, no, I totally agree with um, dental schools and I, I think they provide great care. And there's always, you know, a, a professor there, a dentist there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, with, with the dental students. So I, I think it's great care. Is there a special educational track for certain dentists to, you know, be more specific and specialized in treating cancer patients? I would think there is. I'm not aware of one. Um, a prosthodontist is a specialist in providing artificial parts, which dentures would qualify as an artificial part. But they, you know, they do noses and ears and things like that also. But uh, as far as I suppose, they probably treat more cancer patients or people who have had a traumatic injury of some sort, replacing the parts that are now missing. Do you feel that there's a big difference in the way that you treated patients before and after your diagnosis? No, I hope not. I hope I was empathetic and sympathetic and 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 kind. I, I think I was. Um, I certainly empathize more with people who are going through what I went through or any kind of cancer therapy, but again, only because I went through it. I still have trouble talking about my particular treatment because it's still this long ago it's it still tears me up a little bit to talk about it and to the the exact second that i heard my name and cancer in the same sentence and and understood it is still a, a painful memory not painful but a, a, it just breaks me up a little bit to, to say it so i'll sit and <laughs> I'll sit down at the chair with the patient. Might we might both be crying by the time the exam's over with because of that. Are there any resources when you were when you were diagnosed and and you were kind of going through your motions of treatment and you know just trying to figure everything out because at that time, like you said, you hear those two words together and your world stops. Yeah, we went out to the internet and started looking up stem cell transplants. And we were sure I was going to die. Uh, we ended up going to Seattle to have the transplant done, be mostly because my sister lived in Seattle and she was my most likely donor. But she wasn't close as a donor and the, the care we received there was wonderful. And it just so happened that it was in network with the insurance that I had at the time. So we, we had very little out of pocket. We were incredibly fortunate. But we would have done it there anyway, even if it wouldn't have been covered. We would have scraped and done whatever we had to do. You know, I've heard of people having some fundraisers and GoFundMe pages and churches having garage sales to raise money to help people do stuff like that. And, you know, we've contributed to that. Uh, the, 
the walkathons and the bikeathons and whatever else that that comes across, we donate to just to help people go through it. Do you have any other advice for anybody listening regarding how to decrease the risk of complications moving forward? Well, the fluoride trays that I mentioned, it's like a retainer that fits over the teeth that you could place fluoride in for them to wear for 20-30 minutes a day will help strengthen the teeth. Make sure that they are cleaning effectively all the surfaces with the brush and with the floss and with the water pick just to remove the bacteria that's there. In order to have a dental cavity, have it decay, you need three things. You need a tooth, first of all, and you need the bacteria there, and then you need a refined carbohydrate. You can remove any of those three things and you don't have decay. Well, the easiest thing to remove is the, is the bacteria, I suppose, because it's going to be incredibly difficult for someone to stop drinking anything with, with sugar in it. But limiting the exposure time that if, if you're starting with a drink and you're sipping it all day long, then you have that decay activity going on in your mouth all day long. Uh, if while the sugar is in your mouth and for about 30 minutes afterwards is when those bacteria are eating the sugar and then producing the acid that eats the hole in your tooth. So if you limit the, ex the number of exposures that you have to that sort of that sort of drink, any any refinable carbohydrate will allow the bacteria to to proliferate. Um, there is an artificial sugar now called xylitol that a lot of people are using to trick the bacteria. I guess they'll take the xylitol into their cell and they can't use it, and it basically then it kills them. So there are mints, there are mouthwashes that people are using now to help kill those bacteria and get rid of them. That would be something that you could suggest to people. That's great advice, thank you. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you think should be mentioned? <laughs> Don't be a dunce like I was. You're not immune to decay. Even though you're a <laughs> dentist or you're a highly trained or your physicians are the worst. Patient. Right up there are nurses. It's like we think we're immune to, to disease, and we're not. I mean, I was certainly stupid, and I wish, wish now I hadn't, but I was able to get the issues that I had taken care of. So just be vigilant and listen. Great advice. Dr. Waters, thank you so much for joining Lizette and I and speaking with us today about the relevance of oral dental health and for all you do for your patients regarding dental health and awareness. You've touched on so many amazing things and provided, I think, a lot of great information that people listening will find useful. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.